Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Beltalota, the officially unofficial podcast for the Expanse on Amazon Prime. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron, and we're back with one final episode for season five to do a sort of wrap up, um, get everybody's feedback, gather all the thoughts, and sort of go through some of the questions that we have uh, after the end of the season and things we hope to see in the future, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I've got like 10 pages of I, I know pages don't translate to anything really but i got like 10 pages of emails plenty of stuff to talk about and most of the stuff is brought up by the listeners um that i would have discussed anyway so i'm gonna kind of leave it mostly to them uh, okay what do, what are you feeling I, at the end of season five I, I had, here's the four things i came out of the episode really wanting to know more about and i don't know how many i, I got a definitive answer on one thing um, and I'll maybe talk about that first. I expressed confusion on the podcast about what exactly blew up the Serio Mall, or maybe it's Koto. I think the Koto went out first, but the I mentioned there's this round kind of like drone looking thing that was orbiting the Serio Mall, and I couldn't tell if it's a defensive drone or what. But like you know, um, and then you know, I we, we said many times our screener copies are not the highest resolution. Yeah, but this weekend we watched it again with our audience, and I still, even with the high quality copy, I was still perplexed at exactly how. And people said, "Oh, well, it's the railgun round, or oh, it's uh, a torpedo hitting, or oh, it's actually the Rasinante." And uh, I was <laughs> pretty dismissive about all that stuff when I was watching it in, in, in high def. Um, I actually found a really great breakdown of the combat on YouTube where a guy went through and actually like drew the firing arcs and like labeled like railgun shot one to it's like it's like going through the Zapruder film and trying to decide who shot Kennedy from the grassy knoll. Mm-hmm. And what I've concluded is the Rasinanti with its initial salvo of railguns took out the Serio Mall's drive cone. And then accelerated around it and Bull did a Tokyo Drift style, keeping the nose of the Rasinanti pointed at the Serio Mall as it blew past it and just ripped it with like railgun, 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 eventually hitting its reactor and exploding. And the reason it looks like some kind of defensive drone is because it's A in the background and number one, you're only seeing the kind of weird front end view, the Rasinanti with all the sh- pitons and shit sticking out of it. So gotcha. it doesn't look like the you know, the elongated sleek Rasinanti. It looks like a little beach ball uh, streaking past it. So I'm going to, in the show notes, link the, uh, the breakdown of the battles in the show. It's like a three minute long YouTube video that just, just lays out all the firing arcs and it made it much, much clearer. I wonder in the future, because it's something we both remarked on. Like, I love the hyper-realistic style of this combat, um, but it is a little bit harder to... It was a little bit harder for us to understand. I wonder if they need to 
really think about the visual language of this and think about like firing arcs and lines. And if you're going to be going hopping around 10,000 kilometers in a second, mm-hmm. you really got to make sure the viewer knows where the hell their eye, their point of view is. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's definitely a problem or it's something for them to consider because I was certainly confused um, by most of the action that was happening there. I, I mean, you take away the big things you need to take away, right? Like Holden and, and his crew, the Rossi survived. Uh, Drummer survived. Um, Oksana survived, but all, all these ships were disabled and the threat is gone. Like you get all that. Um, but if you really want to follow that action and understand how it happened, you have to, you got to dig in. Uh, they, they maybe need to, so much of this is filmed from so close. And I know the distances that they're, they're firing from are way larger than you would think. Maybe they need to zoom out a little bit. At, at some points, mm. like show the setup, because that was one of the things like we never saw the setup of this battle. We know, OK, drummer's fleet is headed one direction. Holden's headed toward them. When does that change um, somewhere yeah. along the way? Like Holden, you know, rushes into the middle of the pack. His intention is to like zoom right through them. Right. Um, firing mm. at them with with all his cannons on the way through. But that changes somewhere in the middle and they don't do a great job of communicating how the yeah. flight pattern would change as well. I feel like some of the other, like I, the one I really think about is the Rasananthi's duel with the stealth ship around the station um, that uh, the proto molecule station and like think season one, maybe season two mm. and like how, you know, we are always are kind of like in a third person view behind the Rasananthi as it's kind of spinning and twisting and like, yeah, what that shot would have looked like if we were like standing on the space station or from the stealth ships point of view, where it's like the Ross 90 just pops out from behind and like rakes it with fire and it kind of streaks across. And like, we might be confused, especially if there was like 12 other hostiles, you know, in, in, in the battle. I, I wonder like if, if instead of, if we had just like been with the Ross like, you know, over its right shoulder as it takes out the drive cone and then, you know sluices around the serio mall or if we you know you talked a lot about maybe needing a few more insert shots like if they had an insert mm-hmm. shot of holden being like fire you know um so as the rasani opened up with his rail guns something because it, it does feel like that like it's it's not fatal but like when i was reading no. through these reddit threads like there was literally hundreds of people being like man i was really confused and there's like one or two insufferable assholes being like, well, it's perfectly clear if you put it. But it's like, OK, well, that's fine. If it's clear to you, there's 100 people here saying it wasn't clear. That means for a show that wants to have broad appeal, they probably ought to think a little bit more about the visual language that they admittedly are pioneering. Like there's not a go to of how you show this particular type of, of, of combat. And they've done it really well. And this, I think, was for the most part really well. It's just a little little confusing in in the uh implementation of it so and crucially it's it's in those bigger battles right because it's easy to follow when it's one ship on one ship and we've seen yeah, that a lot of course uh, of course it, and it, it seems like next year uh <laughs> there's going to be some large large fleet battles or the potential yeah, of those like and so we start to see like maybe the, want to sweat the beginning of that at the ring uh, at the end of this episode, this finale, right? Sure. Like it, it's also easy to communicate it when you have a reference point, like the ring the gate. gate. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to communicate it when it's in just the middle of space, blackness all around you. All you have is the ships. It's tough. 
but yeah, yeah that ring gate was a lot easier to understand because there's yeah. just there's always like you know kind of two sides you had marco ships coming in stealth uh and then the three giant you know behemoths not the real behemoths but you know the the nathan hale class destroyers and the the donager destroyer or battleships mm-hmm. and then you had the micrometeor thing that, that shredded them and then you know you had the ring gate firing you know betraying them and then you had the martian betrayers coming in all everything seemed like it was very easy much easier to understand yeah. and so they can they can do it it's just when you have a real furball like you did with the the d- different belter fleet and they're backstabbing, you got the Rasananti and all these torpedoes and railguns going off. Um, especially since the Rasananti, like we've never really seen it fire its railgun in anger. Like it's done a test shot and it's done some shots to like use mm-hmm. it as a booster thing, but like it's kind of like a new visual thing. Um yeah, not a lot of ships of Rasananti size has a railgun. In fact, I think it's now the only ship that does of its size. Uh, once the stealth frigates were destroyed. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a little tighten it up there. Um, I don't want to belabor that point too much. The other three things, um, and maybe order of importance, uh, ascending order of importance. First, what is the deal with Monica? That's something we said all season <laughs> long. Why was Monica so important to Marco? Like, I understand like why they kidnapped her and all that kind of stuff, but why did they try to take her off the station along with the proto molecule? Is it just tying up a loose end or is she useful for his purposes beyond that? And was that purpose frustrated or am I thinking about something that's no longer important anymore? Because I felt like they set that importance up. Do you have any, Am they I, did. Am I, I mean, barking the, up the right tree, wrong tree, or the fact that they kept her alive in that cargo container says everything you need to know about whether or not they want yeah. her, right? So, I mean, you know, we speculated earlier in the season when that was all going down that maybe they want her for her, you know, ability to get some kind of message out um, and and be a trusted source for news, right? Maybe maybe force her to to say a bunch of lies. Um, that then will be taken at face value because she's Monica. Uh, she was the one that's like, cause he, you know, Marco clearly thinks a lot about propaganda, the symbolism yeah. of things. That's why he was so, I mean, it's not the only reason he was so hot for the Rasananti. There's also some personal jealousy there, but you for know, sure. the symbol of Belter Martian and earther cooperation had to be destroyed. Monica being kind of like that, that trusted third party voice that covered the ring gate you know, unity, maybe did he see some utility in perverting her role to like be the mouthpiece of disunity. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, is an open question I had that I don't feel like I, I felt like the show didn't even think about it at, in its final moments. It's like, I set it that up and then it's like, yeah. so I, I, I don't know if I'm, if, if this is something that I'm supposed to pay attention to going forward or just forget about the fact that, because clearly Marco had a lot of things he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that stuff was thwarted. So like yeah. maybe this is just one of uh, one of those others. The other question um, is, man, these are like one a one B. How bad is the earth fucked? We talked about them playing coy with that. And I almost think it's because they wanted to punt that the next season. Like they them sh- themselves weren't sure especially if they're going to shut things down for this final season. Um, 
I think you and I both think that that's more of a negotiating tactic than an actual end of the line. But like, maybe they wanted to have flexibility of like, well, maybe the earth just lost a billion people and it's definitely a bad situation and it's going to set them back economically, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not fatal. Um, but I, but, but it seems to me, cause here's the thing I read, uh, I watched, uh, after the, in between last week and this week, alt shift X, if you don't know alt shift X, he does a really great YouTube series of breaking down like themes and seasons. He was really good in game of Thrones. He's doing really good work this year on the expanse, but he's read the book and he did a book versus show comparison. And I guess in the book, they make it clear that like earth is really fucked, like collapse of the biosphere fucked 6 billion people dead. You know, like like a fifth of the population in a in an instant dead people starving. Um, and they certainly didn't tell that story in the show. Do you think they're just hedging their bets to see if they want to make a big change between the books and the show for season six or they want that to be a surprise? Or are you supposed to understand no, that Alva Sarala is like putting a brave face on it? What What's your take on this? So the, the timing of this is strange because those are book six spoilers the book five hits the earth with rocks book five doesn't deal with the real fallout of that um just like the show doesn't deal with that in season five so my opinion is they're waiting until season six to really reveal the true nature of it whether they decide to change it or not um from the books whether it's not going to be as big a deal okay maybe they've revealed it but if they're going to reveal some further uh problems for earth then it's probably going to be in the next season Hmm. Okay. Um, that's surprising to me. Cause I, I thought that like, you know, how would you not like if, if there's billions dead, how would you not know it in like real time? Like, why wouldn't you have, you know, maybe Avisarala doesn't have to dwell, dwell on it, but they've done really good job of just having like these news reports being in the background of terminals to kind of give us ideas of like what's going on at the Eero station, what's going on with the immigration to the, the ring gate systems. And it was just notably absent in the last few episodes. And so, huh? Yeah, okay. it feels like they're waiting and, and time timelines get a little weird and fuzzy too, right? Like how long does it take to travel from X place to Y place? Right. Um, it, during that time, how could the Earth not know the status uh, of their environment? Um, there are a lot of questions around timing that I have where they would almost certainly know these things like not immediately. You You wouldn't be sure about it because you have to wait for cascade effects some kind of collapse of infrastructure and and only after you know a few weeks would people really start dying like you have the initial impacts but then you gotta wait to see what the actual fallout yeah the supply disruption the power disruption the food disruption that's where you know yeah water i mean people start dying from thirst if they don't get water um so so how you know, how long has it been since that has happened? It doesn't feel like very long from the Avasarala storyline um, that it's maybe been less than a couple of weeks, but then from all of the space travel that they're doing and, and, and you know, everybody getting back to earth and having this meeting where they yeah. talk about the future Naomi's face healing completely, um, having time to get par- Holden's parents, all of them up to, to, to right. Luna. Yeah. Um, it is, it so does, yeah, it does. going into season six, I think we'll hear more about that. It does feel ominous that all important people to us and to Earth's government seem like they're reconstituting on Luna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Earth's little Earth's little airless lifeboat. 
Um, so I guess the final, uh, maybe most important topic is what happened to the Martian separatists? I'm going to call them that, um, that tried to transit the Laconia gate. Um, because we have seen, uh, Holden himself says that when he goes through the gate, he sees these fire extra dimensional entities getting angrier and angrier, angrier. We saw when the Belter scientist, Okoye, I think is her name. Uh, stepped into the anti-protomolecule particle. She saw visions of these red things like tearing shit up and stuff. This felt a little bit different because when the red beings beings were intersecting with like matter, you know, uh, it looked like it was destroyed. The, like things were exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched when the when the the ship was transiting the gate. Like as it got through, like there's red stuff playing all over the portal itself. But the ship is not like breaking up or being destroyed or whatever. But the drive cone goes out like there's still like a fourth of the ship. Go, the ghost to slide in the drive cone stops working. That to me felt very ominous. Um, but I also don't know like what that means. If this ship gets destroyed and there's no Martians on the other side, like will we ever find that out? Because also they said, hey, we're slamming the door behind us. We're putting up the minefield. Don't ever try to get through it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so like the belt's not going to check on these people. There's probably not expecting any communications. Like what the hell? So what, so what am I supposed to understand happened there? Um, do uh, you that's care a, to give any insight or that's a good question. Um, it's a little, muddier i think in the show because you've got all this stuff with holden like showing fred here's what it looks like when i see these things in my dreams or whatever um and it looks very similar to what you're seeing happen to uh uh Savater. and i i don't want to say too much but i don't know too much more that's that's the thing mm. like the but i would say book six doesn't deal with those proto molecule details um so so there's not too much more it's it's one of the facets of this show that i'm looking forward to come season six that's wild is knowing more about Um, because the other thing about like if that ship gets destroyed the big question then becomes what happens to all that amazing protomolecule superstructure that's being built in space yeah you know like if everyone that tries to go through a gate at this point is going to be eaten by the red fire demons then what uses these giant orbital installations, perhaps battleships, whatever it is like, what, what good is that going to do anybody? I will say um, it's, it's not everyone um, going through the, the gate doesn't guarantee that you'll, that the red stuff will happen to you. Really? Yeah. Huh? Okay. Well, I mean, like I said, I just asked some more questions. Like why do they right. eat some ships and not others? And was it just some gates or is it all gates equal chance? And, yeah, you because know, like Holden says, they're getting angry and angrier. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. It is a big part of book six, but they don't. I, I don't think they ever actually give you an answer to the question: What happens to the ships that the red stuff affects? Well, like I said, that's those are the big the big questions I had. You know. Um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how, especially the thing. Like, it just seems hard to believe that. They're introducing this idea of these giant interstellar uh, protomolecule, perhaps ships or installations being built, and they would just cut that off from any way of affecting the main plot. 
especially yeah. in context of like you know the coy statements of like oh we always kind of thought we'd just stop with books with with book six and season six like it seems like there's going to be a lot of big questions kind of like still laying out there that they could either you know reboot a movie series or continue to do seasons i don't know yeah who knows what the future of this show looks like beyond season six but um i I have all i have all the same questions that you do for the most part um i think our listeners do too a lot of these emails we got are you know based around those things, those events. Okay. Cause that's the other thing I wanted to talk about is like the, the like what, what we thought about the future going past season six. But if, if the feedback is dealing with that, then I'm, I'm content to let it, let it do that. So yeah, we have a few. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away. And I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Uh, maybe I should jump right into them. Uh, 
if you want to send an email, you can do so at expanseofballmove.com. We're probably not going to consider it until season six starts airing. Um, so maybe hold off until then because we'll get a lot more information, I imagine, uh, about what season six is going to look like and potentially beyond season six. And maybe we can start with Gary from Houston here, um, considering our feedback, because he's got a question about that. What I really like to talk about is the final few minutes of the episode and read into what it means for the future of the Expanse property uh, beyond season six. Given some comments from Ty and Dan on Twitter about there being a quote unquote pause after season six and several interviews that have commented that they do not intend to cram books seven, eight and nine material into the final season of the show. uh, Most book readers have been hopeful that we'll see more Expanse after the end of season six, whatever form that'll take. and he says the inclusion of the stinger at the end of season five all but confirms that. Which I'm not I'm not sure I agree with, but we can talk about it here in a second. All but confirms that they're not going to No, that they they will. There will be more beyond season six. Um Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if they're not going like like if they're not so they they there's couple things are true there exists a set of books seven eight nine <laughs> yep. that are kind of like coupled into a trilogy in the same way that we now understand seasons one through three were and that we will understand the season four through six are and maybe you probably already understand how they fit together since you've already read those trilogy of books there's another trilogy and they are saying that they are not intending to like hurry up and shove those into season six to essentially do a super season six that has material from book six seven eight and nine um, but they are suggesting that that material is going to be gotten into, but they're also saying that season six is the last season. Yeah, it's wild to me because I don't feel like, yeah, I've said this in previous podcasts that season six can end the way the book six does, and I will feel satisfied in that story. And so, if that's the case, they have to do another season after this and or after season six. Yeah, otherwise, I, I just don't. I, it feels incomplete to me unless they're yeah, going to take the elements, which they say they're not of seven, eight, nine and try and cram some of them in. It just won't feel right. That's why I keep saying that this feels like posturing to me that like what the the like there's there's three sides here. There's Amazon. There is uh, what's the company that actually makes um, the so, expanse. Uh, Alcon. Con, yeah. Yeah, Alcon, and then you got Dan and Ty. And what Dan and Ty are saying is we don't think we can make seven, eight, and nine on the budget that we have made one through six on. And thus we are announcing that we are unilaterally ending the show because we want to keep Dominic Tipper and Stephen Strait and Wes Chatham and all these guys on as the cast. Um, but we need to increase the budget and we want out of this deal. This feels like a superstar athlete to sign a rookie contract. that's blown up. And now they're saying, I'm going to, I'm going to sit out training camp. Now, does that mean they don't want to play for that team anymore? No, it means that it's a Scotty. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's, you could, you could, you could have any kind, any, any number of athletes you could think of, but like, it's essentially saying, they're not saying I don't want to play football or basketball. They're not saying I don't want to play basketball for the Chicago Bulls. What they're saying is they don't want to play the basketball for Chicago Bulls under the terms of the contract. So can we rip that up and come to a new uh, uh, understanding? And if not, I'll just continue to sit out and not play. 
I would be shocked if there is an episode seven, eight or nine or a movie series or uh, a new studio getting it or a new outlet getting it. Um, just like we went through with the sci-fi kind of business. Um, yeah, I, I just, I would just be shocked. I think this is just a, this is just a ploy, um, a negotiation in public. And we saw, we saw this with Marvel and Sony. That was a little bit more acrimonious, but and then like magically it just all got resolved, you know? Um, sure. we, we've, we've over to fight over Spider-Man is what I was thinking about in particular. Um, mm-hmm. we're just seeing powerful interest negotiating, uh, probably in good faith out in the public. And I think that we will hear before season six, there are plans for seven, eight, and nine. So that's, that's my thought because I just, yeah. What else? Why introduce all this crazy shit that you're just not going to even get to. Is it a case where like, if you're the writers of the show, you're Ty and Dan, you're the production company. You're like, all right, we're going to make a show that doesn't have an ending. And if Amazon wants to be the person that cuts this show off, be be the entity that cuts the show off, they're going to take the heat for that. But we're going to yeah. we're going to tell this thing like we're mid story and kind of force their hand a little. I uh, the total speculation. Yeah, and it's so right? weird because like I'm I'm I feel like I'm trying to feel an elephant in the dark, and you know because like I've heard you say that you would be you would think that ending season six ending things at season six as they stand in the books would feel like a massive like there's there's more there and that you need to know and yeah. you're just never going to get it be disappointing i've heard others feel like say that like oh i actually understand that and you'd have a complete you, you you'd have a fairly complete uh ending with a like you know intriguing kind of mystery that could be pulled for threads for future plots and obviously, I don't, you know, I'm just hearing people kind of talk obliquely around that. I've heard rumors of like a big time jump going from book six to seven that also could explain a lot. But also, like, I don't see how you can take like a huge time jump between what I understand the state of the board at the end of books. Book six is going to be, you know, there's going to be, you know, probably a lot more war. But you're also got this protomocule shit heating up. Like, I don't stand. I don't see how you can kind of come to an equilibrium in this universe to where you can set it for like 10, 15, 20, 30 years and have it come back and, and be fine. You know, yeah. Like how yeah. do you do a time jump where you've got, you're leaving things that up in the air? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, I, I just, it just feels like it's, it's, it's negotiating. It's, it's negotiating a new contract in public. And um, <laughs> I'd be very surprised if there, the end result of the negotiations are no more expanse after season six. That's it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, let's move on to Madi, who says, uh, I was wondering what you guys thought about the idea that when you guys read the books in, in a series ahead of the show, like on Game of Thrones or Expanse, you lose a big part of what makes the podcast fun, speculation. Uh, mildly interesting is cute, but what you're left with is one of you who speculates and the other who can't speculate at all because even if it would have been a guess... They know the answer. I've already read all the books before this last season aired. So for me, this doesn't really matter as much in regards to the expanse. And I wouldn't say you guys have to change for the uh, the podcast, but in my general opinion, uh, when there's a show you guys are watching and podcasting might not be best idea to be spoiled. All this to say still that now as a book reader, it's nice to hear Jim compare scenes to the book. So maybe I don't really have a point here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the push and pull here, right? Is like, 
by doing that, you're going to please the people who have read the books. And I think a fair number of people who've seen this show are also book readers, um, expanse book readers. I think it's, you know, it doesn't have the 10 million plus a hundred million, whatever people that were watching game of Thrones. So it's not that skewed ratio toward the show nearly as much. Um, but yeah, you do lose something. I, I don't like when I have to say mildly interesting. Um, I much more enjoy just sitting down and shooting the shit and speculating, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like this, this format was wildly successful in game of Thrones. And I guess there's two points of that. Like there is, uh, this kind of like, uh, um, slightly malicious glee and watching a person that doesn't mm-hmm. know what's going to happen, like just, just twisting in the wind and the other person kind of smugly doing the mildly interesting. The thing that I, I guess the thing that made that the, the completed the circle when we had a game of Thrones is we had a spoiler edition. Yeah. And like, I guess that's the thing. Like if there was a companion podcast that came out later in the week where you did a 30 minutes of like, here's interesting the books and the show and here's what Aaron's thinking and here's what's actually happening. And, you guys could speculate behind my back about stuff like that would probably close the circle, but like, you know, well, it still is, doesn't solve is, the core problem of I can't speculate along with you. All I've got to do is not along as you, you know, talk about what you think is going to happen. And I can't, yeah, really but respond. You, you use the spoiler edition to speculate the do the speculation of like, well, here's what happens in the books. And also, well, the thing also you know, doesn't happen with people the- who haven't read the books and don't want to be spoiled. Right. Right, but that's us, and then they're, I'm speculating for them. I'm just saying, like, that's like, it was like we had the most successful Game of Thrones podcast uh, at the time while we were doing that. And, uh-huh. like, I think that's the only difference in this model is that there is no outlet for the book people to, like, hear informed speculation of, like, okay, here's where the books are going. Here's where the show's going. How are they going to meet up? How are they going to be different? The spice in the Game of Thrones was the books weren't finished. Yeah. So there was like there was still a ton of speculation you can do by the time season six rolls around. I don't think that will be the case for the expanse. I don't so, think it was the case this season. Like when you've got books six, seven, eight out there, like right. you're so far ahead. I, th- I don't think there's any speculation to really do. OK, so then the speculation is just like, how are they going to adapt it for the, the show? You know, like, yeah. oh, this character is macho fucking Pac-Man or whatever. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, I think. Would be going, but like I said, that's that's up to you whether you want to do a, a spoiler edition for, for uh, The Expanse, because it wouldn't be my project. Yeah. All right, uh, David says, a friend and I were debriefing after the finale, and I was struck at just how well the season was structured. Uh, it's a real triumph, and I think a high watermark for television as a whole, not just sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I really think Dan and I have learned from all the shows that have come before and it really shows in little details and how they construct the various plot elements over an entire season. The attention to detail, the satisfying character arcs, even for secondary characters, the adherence to internal consistency, all A+. As a consumer of television in general and sci-fi specifically, it really feels like Dan and Ty respect us, the audience. They don't talk down to us, they take writing seriously, and they learn from the history of the genre to make a better show each and every season. It's so refreshing and satisfying to see how this show and the cast and production have grown. Uh, I agree. I think one of the things, um, and, uh, you know, we we talk about like it, we've nitpicked some of the things in this season, right? And I think that's part of the consequence of how well they have written this show in the past and how you know they they piece this together to where everything makes 
perfect sense and none of it is confusing it's all just under the surface if you even like scratch the surface you get what they're trying to do here and you know that that's why when they do some things that are sort of confusing it leaves us scratching our head um and i guess wanting them to do the the perfect job that they've done up until now yeah, yeah i mean like i, I like e- e- even if you agree with my takes on you know or i guess our takes on the little bit of sloppy joe with naomi's chain smoker plot mm-hmm. um yeah like this still is like you know i there were like I said, Breaking Bad had at least two lapses where I was like, I don't know about this uh, in the first three seasons. Uh, uh, Fargo, like every season, the first two seasons had like a, a giant kind of like logical lapse that that always bothered me. There's very few shows that are just like completely airtight start to finish. Yeah. Um. So like the expanse is like well ahead of that game. And I do think that like what the, they're, they have a good point there that Dan and Ty as consumers of, of fiction, you know, both um, in terms of like the written form and, and uh, video games and TV shows and movies, and all that stuff. They have learned a lot from the golden age of television and puzzle box shows and how to like ma- uh, how to, um, you know, keep a big cast in with a with a huge backdrop. Um, and I think their their big innovation is the crew, the Rossinanti. Like, you know, like if George had been able to quickly get like Danny and John and Tyrion and I don't know who else would be Stannis and they're in a boat going around getting in adventures around Westeros and like all three of the faction, like all the factions are like their representative and like you wouldn't have to have be going and seeing, oh, well, you know, she's stuck over here in Essos and this guy's stuck at the wall. And like, you know, all this, all this, you, you have that core adventure and then you have the backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, um, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty good way to like have that where you have this massive theater that's happening, but you also have this very intimate story that you're able to tell. So yeah, kudos, and I have massive, like the thing is like, at no point did I ever get to where with this show where I like got with the walking dead, where I just throw my hands up and be like, well, this is just patently stupid. <laughs> no. Like I have an enormous amount of faith in the production team and them pulling off a satisfying end of the story. Like I can't even imagine like even one kind of like bad season probably wouldn't crush it. Or when I say bad season, I mean like a bad season, like game of Thrones seasons five or six. Mm-hmm. or even seven like you know they built up so much goodwill that it would take a just truly terrible atrocious season or like several seasons of mediocre quality with a bad final season before i'd be like yep the you know dan and ty pulled a double d um they just have a huge amount of credit with me um so yeah i'm sure i looking forward to what whatever they come out with in the future the thing I appreciate about the writing so much is a lot of lessons that, yeah, you're talking about from prior television, like Breaking Bad, um, had this character driven plot. And that is one of the things that the show does so well. It, you know, takes that core crew of the Rocinante, puts them in a situation and then creates the tension from characters reacting naturally the way they would. Uh, it, it doesn't try to artificially insert that. Like, and it, it goes even, f- you know, even farther, right? To th- extend across the themes that they're trying to get to uh, something like the walking dead will have a character flip flop eight times to try to shoehorn in the theme that they're talking about. Uh, right. 
just to get the theme in there. The expanse instead creates these super tense situations out of the choices the characters would naturally make and then weaves those into the larger theme that they're trying to to get at. And they have just done such an amazing job putting all that together in a way that just feels effortless. It feels seamless. And if they can keep that up through at least one more season, yeah, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be real happy with this show. Yeah, and I love it, especially when you, you go through like the changes between the books and the TV show thus far. Almost always, they're like positive tweaks. Yeah. Like they just tightened up the plot a little bit more. They tightened up the characters a little bit more. They gave, you know, what was just kind of hinted at in the books. They actually gave a character time to like, you know, fully express whatever they're trying to get to. Like I felt like the books are kind of a, a dress rehearsal or not a dress rehearsal, but like, uh, you know, it's not just adapt adapting what they've got. It's also like, well, what did we learn from the pains that we went through writing it in the first place? So let's adapt it for sure. But also maybe streamline and clean up some things and expand on others that we wanted to get to, especially mm-hmm. when you talk about all the, you know, as I understand it, these satellite works, these short stories, these novellas that kind of fill in the gaps, bring some of that into the main narrative. That stuff is yeah. really smart. It's really smart for sure. All right, M uh, has some questions and thoughts for the wrap-up here. Who do you think gets to kill Marco, that motherfucker? Uh, As in, who deserves to hate him the most? And who do you want to see take him out? Top candidates, in my opinion, are Naomi, for obvious reasons. She hates his pastor, but I sort of think that given the opportunity, she won't kill him. Just maybe take their son's uh, love away from him, if she can, by showing Philip who Marco really is. Still, maybe she'll kill him. Uh, Philip, basically, his dad has manipulated him and turned him into a monster, and he has plenty of reasons to uh, commit patricide. Or Drummer, who I think hates him as much as anyone for obvious reasons. Personally, uh, M wants to see Drummer kill him. What do we think? Uh, I've got a take, and I think uh, Marco doesn't die. I think Marco okay. gets the um uh, the, what what do you call this? He he gets the uh uh Pierre Miao treatment where he just gets <laughs> ruined and imprisoned and not martyred and forgotten about, you know? Like yeah. That is the way to, you know, to to bring someone to justice is but but on, on, honestly on the other hand, you know, if someone that's got this much blood on their hands there has to be someone that kills him. I think it should be Philip. Yeah, like that, it's a very Luke Sky. It's a very Luke Skywalker, you know, moment of like you know d- dealing with your family, your family's history of complicity and true atrocities. Like the only mm-hmm. way to do it sometimes is by letting of blood. And Naomi is the type that would just walk away. She'd be very much like, "Well, I don't want to make another martyr. I don't want to kill my my son's father." Um drummer absolutely drummer all she needs is a fucking means (laughs) and a location she doesn't she doesn't need to wrestle with the morality of it uh like and i think probably holden even and like amos is in that camp and probably even avasarala like she said like yeah i want to see this guy up on hooks um so i think philip is the one that's the most interesting what do you think yeah i'm with you um and i think naomi has gone a long way toward the the goal that he talks about about, uh, about sort of removing whatever uh, veneer of love Philip thinks is there between him and Marco. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, if she's going to have a hand in killing him, that's probably going to be uh, the way it goes. Is just turn Philip against him. But we'll have to see. Yeah, when we watched it this weekend, I was like just struck uh, again by how determined he looked as he was loading that 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 weapon and holstering it. And like, I wouldn't have been shocking for me for him to just go up to his and just blow his dad's head off right then and there. I don't think he's ready yet. But like, that's a man. That's a young man who could be at that that level pretty pretty quickly. Like it does a, few, make me, a few more lies and manipulations and a few more of his mom being like, you know, an unambiguous lauded hero. And I think yeah, you're going to yeah. get it. Uh, it does make me wonder. Uh, will Naomi have another opportunity? Because she had some opportunities this time. It's true. Um, is Marco still hell bent on destroying the Rossi? Is he going to be coming even harder after Holden next season? Uh, since he escaped his trap this season, you know, it, he or, might, or, but on hmm? the, the logical response by the combined UN Belter Martian task force is like the Rasananti must be protected at all costs. Like, and maybe it's like when you got bait to, to try. Yeah, like when go. you got, when you got Captain America going into war against the Nazis, like that's great because Captain America is going to war against the Nazis, but man, if Hitler ever kills Captain America, whoo, uh-huh. that's a huge blow, both to your own side's morale, mor- morale to his side's propaganda. Like, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're propping these guys up as the shining heroes and like what humanity could be in the future. Well, that plays right. Like if Marco can kill that, then, so like I wonder if there it'd be kind of a fun plot if there is this tension of like you know Holden and Naomi and Bull presumably and and uh, Amos and and Clarissa and and Bobby wanting to go out there and mix it up and do good with mm-hmm. like the the joint joint command being like there's no fucking way we can put you in danger you know yeah I mean at the end of the season Oliver Sorella calls calls him like the face essentially of yeah. the United. Uh, earth or in the inner navy right like and then and, and holden saying destroyed. like hey we don't carry a flag and this is a fight we can't stay out of that's there's there's tension all because he's already saying like i'm not going to follow anyone's orders but also i want to make sure i'm in this fight that yeah. kind of like if you read between the lines puts them at odds against the you know the political powers that be so it's interesting um M has uh, another couple questions here. Other thoughts. Do you think Naomi will have any residual trauma from her ordeal in season five? And will it be depicted in season six? Uh, I don't know. Does she feel traumatized? I felt like she felt like she was in control and had her own agency. But then again, that doesn't necessarily that that doesn't have anything to do with how you feel trauma. Um, Yeah. I mean, I like I, I don't know that she's going to have a ton of trauma from like the physical, you know, being oxygen deprived and, and her spacewalk and stuff like that. But emotional trauma. Is it, is it any different than the emotional trauma? The the only emotional trauma I can see is coming from her reuniting with Philip. Um, Mm -hmm. that's where it's at right because her relationship with Marco has not changed like other than him trying to kill her but she probably had to figure he would want to do that anyway Uh, yeah yeah, it's all surrounding Philip like what is their new relationship do they even have one it doesn't seem like she believes that 
yeah. uh, coming out of season five. Yeah, and there's the whole question of like, there's two things here. Like, is it realistic for someone to deal with trauma in this way? Because arguably, like, this, she's been through this kind of trauma before when she originally decided not to throw herself out of right. uh, the airlock and the walk away, right? So she's got, you know, she's been down this road before. She's got experience with it. Um, on the other hand, uh, it is also realistic for someone to experience another trauma to, you know, be re-traumatized and to, to, to have a setback. And you got to balance all that about what we know about PTSD with also what's dramatically interesting. And I don't know what Dan and Ty think about the dramatic interest of having Naomi realistically grapple with trauma mm. because, you know, maybe that's not something interesting that they want to explore with their their the only female member of the crew. Right. Sure. Um, maybe that's that they they'd see that as kind of being ah just leaning into stereotypes or whatever. And, and, and they're doing a lot of that with audience. Claire already. Like I don't know that I sure really need every woman on the ship to be having an emotional crisis at every point during the show. Right. Like every single one of them. That's the thing is every single member of the Rasananti could be entirely justified to go in their quarters and just sobbing for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. But like, what the hell kind of show does that look like? So. I don't know. I, I guess I'm voting for probably not as much processing of trauma. Yeah, I think a lot of that was processed when she came back and played the message with Holden. Um, th- that yeah. was a moment for them to both, you know, decompress and re uh, gather themselves emotionally. So we'll see. Plausible. Sure. Uh, Ashley in Kansas says, holy smokes, I can't believe how much happened in the last episode. Death of Alex, I was not expecting the Cass Anvar thing to take place in this episode. I assume it would play Mm -hmm. at the beginning of next season. However, I like how you guys said it on the last wrap-up and how Amos said it. Alex was a hero who died saving a family member. I also think about the season he had. Uh, He was shot up with strange drugs, boozing, and beat up. It was a (laughs) rough season for Alex. All of that along with the crazy drugs for the high-speed travel really make it feel more possible that he would stroke out. Um, I like the season, but it does feel like it was nine episodes built up for this one. And I wish that there was an 11th episode of this season instead of the ring stuff happening at the end of this um, with maybe a little more story. One of my favorite characters is drummer. And I would have liked to have her meet up with Rossinante. Um, I would have liked drummer's remaining team to meet Naomi and, and their team um, and showing the extension of this Belter Martian Earth or friendship. Uh, <laughs> maybe even drummer on Luna being awkward, but trying to make peace possibly and mm. giving her a mission to sort of reunite humanity as a whole uh, with the Belters. What do you guys think if there was an 11th episode to play out and expand on those last few minutes? What else would you have inserted into episode 10? More Eric, better unfold of, of peaches being in the crew, more Bobby. Uh, that last one you bring up is actually interesting. And I think we have somebody else who wrote in, um, to talk about how, yeah, uh, Sanjeev wrote in to say, I agree with you guys that the show handled the death of Alex pretty well. And there were some nice scenes with, uh, cross the Rossi crew members, but he was surprised to hear or see that we didn't get a similar one from Bobby because she was so close to Alex. Um, during this season and even more so in the books mm. that would have probably been like a capper for this season that we didn't necessarily need but would have been nice to to remember Alex because she would be one of the people who was most fond of him right 
Yeah, they're both Martians, and I, they definitely seemed like they were building something between. But like, man, I, again, this wasn't like I find it hard to fault them not giving these characters all moments to grieve Alex because that was not the game plan. That was like, oh shit, we got a week right. of reshoots and our week of redoing VFX and stuff. Like, how do we get this done? Um, they they could have got her also, like, on a lot of- uh, webcam from her house and just like green screen behind <laughs> her and had her just right. give some monologue, like write out a couple paragraphs. We could, we could film that in an hour. Call us Amazon. But I also <laughs> think that like, uh, I understand what the first emailer especially said about like wanting those an 11th episode, but like also you're kind of starting to tread on future seasonal work you know like yeah like um and I, the show does this really well like i remember uh when i was being borderline outraged at the time jump that we had in season six or season three because i'm like god damn it they've split dr- um uh um uh bobby from the rossinanti and that looked fun and prax is gone and like that and that, that lasted for about half an episode until i was like you know on to the next thing right right um you know like yeah it's gonna be fun like it'd be it'll be fun to see drummer and and holden in like a hunter killer pack you know like trying to pounce on belter uh terrorists and you know trying to hunt down this and that russians uh, not russian uh martian separatists it's going to be a lot of fun so like why waste that stuff in like a throwaway scene at the end or even like have this like i mean i think if you actually did that you'd have a lot of people complaining that like god damn it seems like there's just a lot of epilogue to this season um yeah there already was there already was like this felt very return of the Kings with all the extra yeah. in. So it's like some of those things like be careful what you wish for, because if you got it, like what does that do to the pacing? What does that do to how fun it's going to be next season to see these characters kind of like, you know, meeting up and working together and how's that even going to look? And yeah, <laughs> that's so, why I kind of zoned in on the, uh, the Bobby and Alex stuff, because I don't have enough that I would want to see for an 11th episode. I guess I just have a sixth ending <laughs> that I would want to see, but yeah, there were probably Bobby standing up in her Jetsons uniform to uh-huh. give a little eulogy about the compadre, my favorite compadre. Yeah. All right. Uh, Anthony, you says you're wondering what Marco Anaro's motivation could possibly be for shutting down the soul ring. Uh, I think it's economic. The Belter's sole source of income is mining the asteroid belt for the resource poor inner planets. If there's a mass exodus from the interplanets to the ring worlds, the interplanets will no longer need the belters. On top of that, most belters like Naomi can't survive on the ring worlds, which means they'd be stuck here after everyone else leaves, probably forced to live in even greater poverty than they do now. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, you have endless resources like lithium on Illus, for instance. Uh, you probably don't need to be out there doing the really hard work of mining the, the asteroid belt. Yeah, it does. That's the thing. It does feel like that the belter physiology that like, you know, either the belters can adapt and become earth, become well wallas again, which is a, is, is a form of cultural genocide or they never can. And they're they're for generations held out from seeing the wealth of these new, you know, um, the, these new systems being exploited and they're completely shut out out of it. So like it does it does it does make a certain amount of sense from this this point of view with with historically how the belters have been treated um yeah. makes a lot of sense 
Uh, let's go to Jim, who says, I really love this season of the Expanse. Wanted to comment on what I thought was an awesome and thoughtful execution of Naomi's escape slash rescue from the Chainsmoker. Even as a book reader, they left me wondering if Naomi was going to make it. And the show made some interesting choices to put us in that spacesuit with Naomi. Also, the uh, with little direct explanation or exposition, they did a good job showing us the stakes. There's one thing we knew from our time in the ship. It was that the suit only had a tiny bit of air inside. And with that said, did they ever really explain why she was scribing on the wall for every trip out of the pressure hole of the chain smoker? It was a great way to show us how many times she had gone out there and set the stakes for the big jump at the end. But what was the purpose of her scribing on the wall for Naomi? So before you answer that, because I think you got a definitive answer, I'll tell you what I thought just watching a show without any book knowledge. Uh-huh. I thought that she was keeping track of what relays she was she was going to in the ship, like presumably just like a, imagine if you had to go run down your basement and flip a circuit breaker and there is full of carbon dioxide. So yep. like you had to hold your breath, run down to the basement, go in your garage, flip a, a circuit breaker, run back up and see if the light turned on like. And you don't want to waste any trips like because this is dangerous stuff. So like breaker one, you'd be like one breaker breaker two, you'd breaker three. You keep on ch- taking. I thought that's because I, I thought there was even like signs like it was like CM dash one was one panel CM dash. So I thought she's keeping track of that. But then she kept doing it after she went to the bang valve strategy. So that clearly I didn't have the whole picture. Do you have any insight of what actually she was tracking? Yeah, so as I understand it, um, uh, there's a vacuum between the holes, and I think that vacuum comes from the fact that the outer hole is not airtight. Um, Right. And that's the reason why she needed to have her suit on when she went between those holes. So every time she went back there and she used up uh, whatever oxygen she had in her suit and made the check mark, she was saying, okay, I've used up this much oxygen from inside the ship. Because she has a with the life, the life uh, support systems turned off. She has a limited amount of air inside the ship itself and it's not getting recycled. It's not getting, you know, recreated. So every time she goes out there and loses that air, it's less air in the ship. And she can only do that X amount of times before she no longer has any air in the ship and she just passes out and dies. Does she know how what that number? Because that's the thing. It's like I don't she, like. Yeah, in the book, none of all this is in her head, and you can hear, you can read her thought process, and she is like talking about, okay, there's X amount of air in the ship, and I know that I every time I use my suit, I get rid of this much air, so I have this many times that I can do this. Yeah, it's it's much clearer in the book, but I thought they did a really good job of without having her talk to herself, which is a trope. Um just kind of explaining through the visuals what she's doing for the most part. And obviously people were confused. Um, You know, Jim here is confused. Aaron, you said you were a little unsure what she was doing. So yeah, Um, I thought they did a good job though. All right. Brent says, Hey guys, thanks for another uh, podcast season of the expanse. Two topics for you to possibly discuss one. Now that there are five seasons, how would you rank each of them from your most to least favorite? Is this something we can do off the top of our heads? I, I, I've I got a, an approximation. Three, two, like, four, five, one. 
I think three, four, five are all virtually indistinguishable in terms of goodness, and then two huh. is better than, and then then uh, that those are all collectively better than season two, which is collectively better than season one. Not by huge amounts, but the show got better, the acting got better, the budgets got better, uh, the effects got better, and the plot got more interesting. Um, so, like, I think that three, four, five are all of it. Kind of like the same with Breaking Bad, like you know. You got one and two, and then like boy, three, four, five are just 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 breakaway, breathless thrill ride. And I feel like that's the what the Expanse has gotten to. Like there hasn't been a wet blanket season. Like I mean, right. people want to say that like I don't know, maybe season five is a little this or a little that, but like eh, I don't know. Um, season five is different, um, and that's season kinda... four was different. So sure, yeah, season five and four were very different from the first three. Uh, and that kind of leans into his second question here. He says, I found it interesting that Holden was not a primary character this time around. What do you think of this season's approach of having the main cast all doing their separate things rather than being together? I thought it was pretty great because it's a per- it shows like and all shift X made a, a really good point about this is like the Holden's character. You know, he was always been surrounded by family. You know, he had like eight moms and dads. Then you went into the military where, you know, you've, you've got all your brothers and sisters there. Then a large ship, like then everyone kind of, and every, and him needing everyone and everyone needing him. And, you know, his whole thing is communication, right? He has to communicate with people even when it's not smart. Uh, And him being cut off from that was an interesting character development for him. Like he was not in control. He was out of communication with his family uh, he couldn't protect them. Um, they could watch his back. And that was like a really interesting development for him, which I thought was really cool. Um, so yeah. I, I really like that. And, and it's the first time that like, you know, like, like I've loved Alex ever since the beginning, but like, he's never been like a forefront character. Giving him a chance to be a forefront character was great. Mm-hmm. Also kind of nice. They see some early, really good solo Alex work before we had to say goodbye with him, the, the, to him. Um, and then of course, you know, we've said a, a bunch about the Naomi uh, side of that. So I, I really enjoyed, you know, and it felt all organic, like, Hey, we just got done with this big adventure. Our ships wrecked. We've got some personal business we need to attend to. It felt, it didn't feel forced or writerly. It felt very organic. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like Amos and Naomi are the main focus of this season, but also, you're right too, Aaron. The the stuff they're doing with Alex is stuff that you kind of needed before that character went out. Um, like if we never got any resolution from Alex's side, right? If he didn't understand that this relationship with his family was over, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that would have felt like a complete character. Uh, and I, I think like, a lot of that is the sacrifice, right? It, it all feeds back in because when he sacrifices himself to for his family, his, his new family, family. His, right? His yeah. new family that comes full circle and it feels right to me. It feels like a moment where I don't feel bad about that character going out because they've understood and done everything that they felt like they needed to. Um, yeah. 100%. Good stuff there. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. It was definitely different, but I, knew it was coming um, from reading the books because they're structured the same way. Like the illis stuff is all, you know, happening on illis. And then after that, they all go their separate ways. So it didn't, it wasn't a surprise to me 
I, I guess the surprise here was how well it worked in the TV show. Uh, so then Virgilio writes in and he's got something he noticed about this, uh, a particular part of the season. Because after watching Nemesis games, I rewatched season five and noticed a minor but potentially fatal mistake made by Bobby. In episode mm. six, after fighting off the Belter boarding party and blowing up their skiff, Bobby finds a pesky bullet that made it through her mech suit. She turns down the auto dock since it just itches and discards the bullet. Well, as we all know, especially from season three, that anything unsecured could be lethal during high G maneuvers. <laughs> Fortunately, it looks like they flew straight at high G and didn't need to make any combat maneuvers. I do wonder, though, uh, if they could have worked that bullet into Alex's death. That oh, that would have been that last breaking. That last breaking runs a bitch. God, um, what does that do to Bobby? If if the bullet that she that bounces <laughs> off of her essentially and she discards thoughtlessly kills yeah. Alex. Oh God, that changes everything about that scenario. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think about like what a single bullet going even 19 G's right accelerating a 19 G's would actually do to you because it's all like you know. know what is it an an, an ounce of lead. Not probably not how, even how that. many G's do you think a gun accelerates a bullet at? So I saw I saw some people trying to catch because this is normally not something you you t- you talk about in terms of bullets, right? Yeah, but like so the initial acceleration of a bullet is something around twelve thousand G's. Oh, you know, going from zero to three hundred meters per second or three thousand meters per second for like uh, your average. Okay, NATO but that's five five six round. It's also not linear acceleration, right? So it might. Be different if you well no i guess it the only acceleration linear. would come yeah just like constant acceleration uh, but i guess that oh, wouldn't yeah, be yeah, the yeah. case with the bullet coming off the floor any, anyway so yeah i'm trying to think of like the the most extreme maneuver you know is like 50 50 g's so like it's going to make a but yeah i mean yeah i it's 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 tough it's tough um it doesn't seem like it's, it would it's really tough to estimate. be that much of a threat Right, but it's just it's a funny thing to think about. Her just casually tossing that bullet over, and then like <laughs> right. he got this foreign object debris rattling around in the cabin, and it's bouncing around, and it just nicks you know his artery, or especially since yeah. it seems like he was kind of mar- like his health is marginal in the first place, you uh-huh. know. Um, like what what would but yeah yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it sounds like the MythBusters where they tried to calculate how much force it would take to kill. Like, like if you got in a head on collision with a box of Kleenex in the rear view in, in the rear window, well, and if yeah. that hits you right in the corner, could it pop? Like, ah, I don't know. But it's fun. It's a it is funny to think about the survivor guilt of her. Oh, God. Tank, tanking that bullet with her suit and then it taking out Alex. Yeah. Uh, and finally, Sean says, uh, really enjoyed the season. I'm looking forward to season six. However, I do have one worry. Uh, the writers have show have so far shown that they are not D and D. We know from Game of Thrones, but I still can't help mm-hmm. but get season eight Game of Thrones vibes from the Expanse due to how its last season is currently set up. Similar to Thrones, where the good guys had to go through the Night King, Cersei, and Danny in a limited run of episodes, the good guys in the Expanse will now have to go through Marco, the Rogue Mars faction, the Proto Molecule, and the Red Fire demons. This seems like a bit much for 10 episodes, no? <sighs> yeah, you're right. You've got like two antagonists, the Martians, the Belters. You've got the Red Demons. You've got the Protomolecule species. Uh, Which if they're lot. not actually going to try and get through all that, that makes a lot more sense. Um, if they're just going to do a season six that is the book six, um, 
and leave a lot of stuff open-ended that would that would make a certain amount of sense yeah um but i yeah i i like i said i've got a huge where the thing the thing is around season four or five on uh, on game of thrones i had similarly high quality of uh, or high degree of confidence in the double d's and then you had progressively more questions progressively and i i kept on extending that credit until you know so like what would that look like for the expanse i guess the expanse like if if season like if so we had a couple quibbles if next year we had three twice the amount of quibbles and then the year after that like you know in a particular in a hypothetical season seven if that started falling apart but the other thing is like you know, if we had winds of winter out and people thought it was good, but the, the, the other crucial thing about if we're, if we're really worried about Game of Thrones target fixation, mm-hmm. the other crucial difference is consensus. George's best work was years behind him. Like everyone loved Game of Thrones, uh, Cl- Clash of Kings, Storm of Swords, and then consensus was Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons were a little bit messier and steps in or maybe the wrong direction, but also people were giving him a lot of, because like that was the part of the story where the, everything had blown up to its maximum extent. And it was time to start coming together. Yeah. And we never got that coming together. <laughs> um, whereas as by all accounts, like the first eight books of the expanse cycle, there's only one more left and all eight books have been very confidently and competently told, you know, it's not like things stopped at nemesis gate. And then it's like, well, we're just going to assume that a thing a thing like they're continuing to crank out these books on a regular schedule at a very high quality. Yeah. So they're really not. And they're directly involved in the writer's room. So yep. like there's very little commonality between Expanse and the Game of Thrones other than season five of both of those shows had a quibble or two. But what is the case for there to be more quibbles building up fatal quibbles in the expanse versus game of Thrones, where honestly season five and six were where we started to go off book. Anyway, we're right. not off book yet. We won't ever be off book. Yeah, like we're uh, never going to be off books. Yeah, Book nine yeah. is supposed to come out this year. So the, the conclusion will be there when they're ready to write it for the show. I, I see very little chance of this being a game of Thrones level catastrophe. I, I could certainly see a future in which the ending just doesn't land um, or there's or they never there's get a, to do the landing or there's like, people that are just just not satisfied with the landing, yeah. regardless of, you know, the and you're always going to get that right. Sure. You know, yeah. you're always going to have some Can't people, no matter how no matter how excellent something is, there's going to be some people that don't like just even people that don't like the Lord of the Rings films, even though those are widely regarded as some of the best yeah. adaptations in, in movie history. So. I just think that like there's superficial similarities between Game of Thrones and the Expanse. But like, if you really think about it in terms of the body of the original work, the completion of it, how well it's regarded, like, it's not like, you know, what's the next book It's nemesis games. And then dude, you could ask me, I can probably (laughs) rattle off most of the book names, but I have no idea what order they are. I think Leviathan wakes is number one. I think it's the Vinci code is the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but like, you know, like it'd be one thing if like it stopped at like uh, um, if like the last two books were Chibata Burn mm-hmm. <laughs> and yep. Nemesis ga- games. And those were kind of like people were like, eh, and that's all we got. And we're staring down to season six of like, un- but this that's not again. That's not what we've got here. It's not yeah. at all. Yeah. So I have the faith. I got the faith. I'm keeping the faith. 
you know, we do have another season of podcasting in the bag. Uh, that's the final email this week and for this season. Yeah. And I guess if, uh, you know, this is your, your first, uh, introduction to our work, or maybe you haven't uh, listened to us, um, much else. Uh, obviously bald move doesn't stop now. We are going to go and, um, start our retrospective coverage of the walking dead season 10, which we're pretty excited to, to get back to. Um, that's going to be starting in the next week or two. We also still have sci-fi Sundays going to continue with us watching star Trek and a classic sci-fi movie each week. Um, we have, we're going to have, uh, we're waiting to see what comes out of the prestige, uh, television. Uh, but we do know that we're going to be watching some great prestigious films um, from from all of film history. We're going to be cherry picking some good ones uh, to to talk about on Bald. So there's tons and tons of stuff to talk about at BaldMove.com. Um, and I would, if you're if you're a big fan of science fiction fantasy, uh, please subscribe to our Pulp podcast. That kind of is the uh, where we wrap up all of our you know spaceships, robots, dragons, magic. Uh, larger than life stuff. And if you like, uh, you know, high quality drama, which expanse happens to be both. It's, it's pulp, pulp sci-fi and high quality drama. Uh, check out bald move prestige. Cause that's where we do, you know, the Oscar winning films, uh, the serious prestige dramas, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And our, so, uh, bald move annual bald move awards, the baldies, uh, we're releasing that podcast either today or tomorrow. So that's kind of the culmination of everything we watched last year. Uh, oh, and check out to see fun. how the expanse did. Yeah. Did it, did it, did how, how high did it rank on the dramas? Did any of the principals get, uh, actor awards? Uh, lots of pageantry and drama over on the Baldies, <laughs> our fake ass award show. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And also subscribe at bald, uh, there or follow at bald move on Twitter. If you want to keep up the latest and greatest too. And of course you can always just stop by baldmove.com whenever to see what we're doing. But yeah, hopefully you you continue with us in some form on one of those endpoints, and we'll see you real soon. If not, please be back here for season six of The Expanse, because whether it comes out all at once or hopefully week by week, uh, we will have some form of coverage for it, because goddamn, yeah. we love this show. And that'll do it. Until the next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you later. See you later.